All right. Spoiler alert. Tomorrow, when the Republican Party hosts its fourth and possibly final presidential primary debate, I'm pretty sure I know who is going to win. Mark this down. It's going to be Nikki Haley. Alexandra Ulmer from over at Reuters, she is prepared to co-sign with me here. She says these debates, as chaotic and strange as they've been, they're where long-shot candidate Nikki Haley has been able to shine. In fact, that's what kind of propelled her, you know, near-dead uh, campaign kind of up and turned her into possibly the main challenger for Trump. Did you say near-dead campaign? I mean, it was, you know, she was languishing at 3% in the polls for a long time, and it was kind of an afterthought for most people. And it's the debates that you're saying supercharged her a little bit, or, like, charged her. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's what kind of showed her in command and, um, you know, kind of a level over some of the, the other candidates. In case you missed it, here's a little taste of why Nikki Haley is winning in this particular arena. This is exactly why Margaret Thatcher said, if you want something said, ask a man. If you want something done, ask a woman. Just listen to the crowd going wild. They are loving this sassy lady performance. But Haley's there to talk policy, too. She is as hawkish as Republicans go these days. In fact, Vivek Ramaswamy, one of her fiercest rivals, accused her of being Dick Cheney in three-inch heels. Governor Haley, would you please answer that? Yes, I'd first like to say they're five-inch heels, and I don't wear them unless you can run in them. Wear heels are not for a fashion statement, they're for ammunition. I, I don't even know what that means, but it is very like snap, snap, snap. Right. She likes to show strong command of, of facts and numbers. Maybe that's her background as an accountant. The moments that have gone viral are unsurprisingly not those. Here's a question Does it matter if Nikki Haley wins this debate? I think the, the jury is still out. I mean, the debate has shifted uh, the entire narrative for Nikki Haley, and she's now the main Trump alternative. But she's still second choice. Right. Today on the show, Nikki Haley is surging. Sort of. We'll talk about how she did it. I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Stick around. This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Alexandra Ulmer is not just covering the horse race when it comes to the 2024 presidential field. She's following the money, talking to big Republican donors about where they're placing their bets. And that is why she's been paying so much attention to Nikki Haley. It's not just that she's dominating at the debates or edging out Ron DeSantis in the polls. 
She's also raking in the cash, more than 11 million fundraising dollars in the third quarter of this year. I think Nikki Haley has been excellent at um, cultivating a lot of the Republican donor class for years now. Um, She's had big support uh, when she was UN ambassador and took a really strong line defending Israel, which I think, um, you know, is a top priority for many Republican Jewish and non-Jewish donors. Um, So I think she's very well known in those circles. So once she started getting, as you say, wind in her back, uh, donors were, were very keen to jump in. Nikki Haley entered the race in February. She's been in this a long time. I'm wondering if back then you had a conversation with a donor who was like, I'd love to support Nikki, but it seems like a waste right now. Absolutely. Uh, The thinking was just, well, she's not going to be able to take on Trump. DeSantis is a Trump killer because he has uh, MAGA bona fides and he can win over those folks in a way. Haley, who's a much more of a conventional, you know, uh, foreign policy hawk Republican, cannot. I think someone put it that she's a really good political athlete, which I thought was a good phrase. That is a good phrase and kind of a marathon runner, I would say, in this case. I would characterize her as being very disciplined and focused. She's a pretty tireless campaigner and she's been out, you know, since February talking to voters and holding hosting events. And her team was always kind of quietly confident that she would have a standout moment at the debates. And that's kind of exactly what happened. And, um, you know, she's been very careful with her message. She has slowly started to ramp up her criticism of Trump, but it's still mild. And her kind of go-to phrase is, you know, Trump was the right president at the right time, but he no longer is. You know, I think a lot of his policies were good. We all benefited from that. I do think he was the right president at the right time. I don't think he's the right president going forward. Why? Think about it. Chaos follows him. Everywhere he goes, chaos follows him. She's trying very hard not to alienate his supporters. You've said that Haley's been really strong on the debate stage. Is that really where she seemed to stick a fork in Ron DeSantis? Like, how did how did they cross? Because they really did cross. Like, it was like, oh, Ron DeSantis has all the momentum. And then all of a sudden, Nikki Haley came. So how did that happen? I think DeSantis has had a... a just a gradual descent, right? I mean, his launch is highly symbolic. He decided to launch on then Twitter, now X, um, in a conversation with Elon Musk and one of Musk's um, kind of allies. And it was an absolutely disastrous launch, right? All right, sorry about that. We've got so many people here that I think we are we are uh, kind of melting the servers. Uh, the audio didn't work. You could barely hear DeSantis announcing. There was no visual, right? It's just t- voices. Um, all right. Well, it's certainly uh, an, an incredible honor to uh, have Governor DeSantis uh, make this uh, stark announcement. So, can, are you there? Can you hear us? I think you're here. And then they had the campaign had this um, you know pretty awkward and frankly incorrect spin on it that we broke the internet because so many people were trying to to get into this Twitter spaces and and hear what I had to say and um, I think that in some ways w- was a pretty ominous launch right yeah and he didn't get any boost for it he only got kind of mocking uh, coverage yeah I, you've highlighted how like DeSantis has really kind of like mucked himself up, like kept having these egregious displays of awkwardness. Are there others that stand out to you that you remember? The one that always comes to me is 
that moment in Iowa over the summer where he walks out at a rally and a little girl, a little boy is um, eating an ice cream or a slushy. Oh, what is that? An icy? And, you know, he's trying to be conversational, but what he ends up saying is... Yeah, that's probably a lot of sugar, huh? And it was captured on camera. It's just pretty awkward. Um, so so I actually can't remember a day where DeSantis had a really good positive campaign day until Iowa's governor, uh, Kim Reynolds, endorsed him recently. And I think that's a real telling sign because we were all waiting for the DeSantis bump after he finally launched. And not only was there no bump, but there was this gradual kind of downward slope until he just has this aura of a loser at this point. So DeSantis flails. Nikki Haley's there. I want to talk a little bit about who she is policy-wise. I know you said she's a real hawk. Um, Obviously, she's at the UN for years. I want to focus in on one topic, if we can, just because I think there's been a lot of ink spilled about it, which is Nikki Haley's approach to abortion and how she's spoken about it and what it says about her as a candidate. Can you just talk me through that a little bit? Because abortion has been such a salient issue to voters for the last couple of years. So I think it's important to understand how she thinks about that and whether she really is doing something important in terms of modifying or changing how Republicans are seen when it comes to abortion. So so Nikki Haley has spoken about consensus around the issue of abortion, and she typically brings in her personal story when she does that. The fact her husband was was adopted, uh, for instance, his parents did not, biological parents did not go through with an abortion. And she, so she, she's talked about um, th- that pushing for a national abortion ban has no chance of passing Congress and that her fellow c- Republican contestants are, you know, kind of fooling the public by promising that. Um, she says she personally supports very restrictive abortion measures, um, but that she would want to have more of a, what she calls a consensus approach. It seems to me like a kind of, it's practical. It's saying like, listen, guys, we don't have the votes here, which is not to say I'm not with you, but hey, like we're in a democracy, so we're going to have to deal with the fact that the public doesn't seem to want this right now. Yeah, I think that that's absolutely her approach. I think the criticism from her rivals is that she's trying to have it both ways. And DeSantis has chosen to really go into the MAGA lane and try to peel voters away from Trump, which has so far not succeeded. Haley's approach has been very different, as exemplified by her position uh, on abortion. It's much more to be a consensus, more moderate um, candidate, while still trying to, you know, to cater to some elements of MAGA. For instance, you know, she's... um, she calls for bureaucrat term limits in Washington, uh, for instance, you know, part of tapping into that kind of mega distrust of the quote unquote deep state. Yeah, it's interesting because I look at her approach to abortion and I'm like, actually, what's notable about it isn't what she has to say about abortion, because it's really clear where she stands on abortion. She's incredibly pro-life. It's more what she says about how to make laws and how to push an agenda forward, which seems rooted in a more traditional American consensus building approach, which is an important detail. Absolutely. And it's also kind of a results oriented approach, right? Um, Whereas I think 
Trump has a very different approach to how he sells what he would do and what he did do the last four years. Um, Haley is trying to kind of bring it back towards a more, as you say, practical and results oriented pitch. You know, it remains to be seen how many Republican voters are, are really keen on that kind of specific policy pitch versus um, kind of a embracing more of a almost kind of tribal affiliation with with the MAGA movement. Last week, Nikki Haley's name was in the headlines because she got this endorsement that's been seen as pretty important from Charles Koch and his group, Americans for Prosperity Action. Can you explain why that's important and what kind of difference it could make? Yeah. So the Koch uh, network has been hugely influential in conservative politics for many years. Um, Charles Koch is a libertarian, and he has a kind of network of donors who donate through his organizations for different causes. They That network has lost some power in recent years, mostly because they sat out 2016 and 2020. Um, they're not fond of Trump. And so now they're kind of trying it all to get Nikki Haley to be the Republican nominee. Do they have the money to do that? So they have not spelled out the details of how much money is actually going to go towards bankrolling Nikki Haley's campaign. They have been spending for months now in an anti-Trump campaign in different um, early voting states. Uh, essentially, a lot of the ads feature two-time Trump voters who say they're ready to move on. They're they're kind of soft ads, um, not criticizing Trump that heavily, just targeting those maybe Trump voters who are open to an alternative. Now, there is an alternative. It's Nikki Haley. You know, he doesn't have a choice. He's going to have to go to trial. He's going to have to do these things. And the Democrats are going to have a field day with that. It just worries me, you know, and we get focused on what was and what happened instead of what's, what can be. We want to put a good candidate out there, somebody that's electable. That's first and foremost the goal, not rehashing the past. When a backpack is responsible for the content of this ad. The symbolic value of this is that now, it, you know, after the Koch endorsement, it really does seem like Nikki Haley is the Republican establishment's candidate. Now she's going to have access to a really big ground game. And that was her weak point. Uh, DeSantis has had a really strong ground game, especially in Iowa, thanks to his super PAC never back down for a while now. You mean like field workers and direct mail operations? Door knockers, all that stuff. What's interesting to me about Coke landing on Haley as the endorsement here is that she hasn't necessarily been aligned with their priorities publicly. Like, she, as you said, she's a hawk and that's not been their interest um, she criticized the U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan, but, you know, the Koch network has been campaigning for that for a long time. So is this a real compromise for them? Yeah, that's a really great question. Um, she is not a libertarian, and um, this is definitely a shift. I mean, what I understand from several sources is that, you know, they were pretty set on, on endorsing DeSantis or had the expectations that they would eventually endorse DeSantis, uh, but became disillusioned as his campaign lost steam. And they were particularly um, displeased with by his fight with Disney, um, you know, as libertarians and kind of business first or, uh, organization, they really didn't like that. And so he gradually lost standing in their in their eyes. Um, but what they have drummed, uh, drummed in over and over is that electability is really crucial to them. Um, so I think, you know, fundamentally, they saw the polling and saw that DeSantis, despite having all the money and all the organization, has just been tanking in the last few months, thought he he can't do it. You know, the, the, the Koch network has 
a really strong uh, national network and they also have a lot of influence. So other donors are probably going to come on board uh, after the Koch endorsement. The fundamental question is, does it matter if Nikki Haley gets more donors, right? If the voters still love Trump. When we come back, the path to victory, which does exist for Nikki Haley. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company & Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I asked Alexandra Ulmer to imagine a world where Nikki Haley was the Republican nominee for president and then go back. What would it take for her to get there? What is Nikki Haley's path to the White House? There is a path if you squint. (laughs) That looks like coming in a strong second or third in Iowa, very strong second in New Hampshire, and then possibly the hardest uh, thing of all, winning her home state of South Carolina. Hold it. So you're saying she's probably not even going to win Iowa? No, uh, probably not. It is not a state that's really tailored to her. It's a heavily evangelical state that DeSantis has been working for months, uh, although Trump is still in the lead. I mean, Trump is in the lead in every single poll every single poll. I mean, I think that that bears repeating. There's certain states that are better and worse for DeSantis or Haley, but Trump is ahead in every single poll, right? So I think that's the that's the headline. Um, but, you know, if Haley has a strong finish in, in, um, in Iowa and New Hampshire and then can win South Carolina, which is going to be tricky because that is really Trump territory, um, she would then hope for momentum to kind of carry her over to the following states. Um, Momentum does matter. And, you know, later states that vote later on can be swayed by what happens earlier. And, you know, a lot of these other states have not been blitzed with all the publicity and door knockers and and hoopla um, that Iowa is experiencing right now. So they may not be as aware um, of Haley. That said, (laughs) tall order, big mountain to climb, choose choose your idiom or expression. It's tough. Yeah. I mean, when I think about Nikki Haley, I think about that old saying about the English monarchy, like you need an heir and a spare. And uh, Trump clearly seems to be the heir to MAGA. And Haley at this point clearly seems to be the spare, which means like the bonus person who's second place. Right. And in this particular case, the heir, Trump, has an unprecedented number, unprecedented number of criminal cases hanging on him, right? And that has been the hope of the donor and establishment Republican class that something, some exogenous event uh, tied to his legal problems would get him out of the race, right? A conviction, who knows, a jail. Um, but that is, you know, we've seen a lot of wishful thinking against Trump for years, uh, and it has yet to materialize. I mean, you can still run for president from jail. <laughs> That's still possible. 
I mean, I think that would make things complicated. Um, obviously, we're in uncharted territory. But yeah, I mean, I just did a story on a donor this week who I interviewed um, on Tuesday, Bernie Marcus, uh, one of the co-founders of Home Depot. And I asked him, uh, you know, if Trump is convicted, would you still support him financially and otherwise? And kind of had a had a beat a moment. And he said, yeah, I think so, because because the charges are all trumped up anyway. So there's this, you know, thinking in the donor class that, you know, that, that he's being unfairly prosecuted, just like uh, a lot of voters think. I, I would add just quickly another mega donor I spoke to, uh, Robert Bigelow, who actually gave DeSantis, DeSantis $20 million before deciding his position on abortion was too extreme, uh, says now he would back Trump but doesn't want to give any money just to make sure, you know, the legal problems uh, don't land him in jail. Do you have any sense, and I know political candidates hate this, but is Haley really running for vice president? Like, is is that the play here to kind of run strongly, you know, show that you have a base of support and then just kind of wait for this guy to make his decision about who's his running mate? The fast answer is I don't know. When I speak to this about donors, including donors who are very close to Haley, they say she's never brought this up because the second you mention that, you know, you're open to being a vice president, donors will stop funding you. That said, there's increasing acrimony between the two camps. I mean, Trump has been calling her bird brain and his team even left a bird cage in front of her hotel. What? <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. They taunted her with that. So far, though, the Trump team is really still more focused on DeSantis. They're not taunting Haley as much. I have seen more of the kind of pro-Trump influencers on social media start to target uh, Nikki Haley recently. A lot of them have been bringing up the fact that her first name is Nimarada, her second name is Nikki, and kind of playing up her Indian origins. So racist attacks. Essentially, yeah. And I would not be surprised if that racist and, you know, gendered bird brain is a pretty gendered word. Um it would not surprise me if that becomes more prevalent. I think it's a question for Trump, especially because Trump has always pulled a little more weakly with women, how much he wants to, um, you know, confront Haley in a way that could be seen as sexist. Um, but of course, uh, his surrogates or allies don't necessarily have the same constraints. In some ways, I wonder if this is a run that's about trying to figure out what the Republican Party is going to be post-Trump. Because... Trump is so far ahead now, and it seems like these people running are just, like, reminding people, like, we're here, too. <laughs> this guy, you can't live forever, and uh, we're around. You know, see, see you on the other side. Oh, absolutely. I mean, even if Trump does get elected, he is only entitled to one term, right? Nikki Haley is, is in many ways, a remnant of the old Republican Party, you know, fiscal conservative foreign policy hawk, um, has all the credentials. But the party has shifted enormously, right? Um, the rule of thumb is about, you know, 30 to 40 percent of the electorate is diehard Trump. And then you have another maybe 30, 40 percent um, that likes Trump, but is open to an alternative now. And whatever remains are more moderates who are, are pretty appalled by Trump and what he's done to the party. But that is a very small percentage, right? And that's why the concern um, among Nikki Haley supporters is that her ceiling might be quite low. 
because she's more of a moderate Republican, at least as compared to, um, you know, the MAGA faction. Alexandra Ulmer, I'm so grateful for your time and your reporting. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks so much, Mary. This was great. Alexandra Ulmer is a reporter at Reuters, covering the 2024 U.S. presidential race. And that is our show. What Next is produced by Paige Osborne, Elena Schwartz, Rob Gunther, Madeline Ducharme, and Anna Phillips. We are led by Alicia Montgomery with a little boost from Susan Matthews. Ben Richmond is the Senior Director of Podcast Operations here at Slate. And I'm Mary Harris. Thanks for listening. Catch you next time. 